This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn. Thanks for joining me today as we pick up our thread in 1942, where we left off yesterday. And Gertrude has passed away, and 17-year-old Gloria Vanderbilt has hightailed it out of the East Coast, taking herself out to California, going to her mom, Gloria Morgan Vanderbilt, who is living with her sister, Talma. And our poor little rich girl, Gloria Vanderbilt, good Lord, packs her whole life with love and adventure, four husbands children, a long life filled with all the things. Our man Dominic Dunn does interview Gloria Vanderbilt in 1985 in the beginnings of his career at Vanity Fair. We have used parts of this article in our telling so far of the story. I do want to let everybody know that all sources used within this entire arc will be on our website posted with tomorrow's final episode. Lots and lots of sources if you're looking for those. Nick does interview Gloria Vanderbilt, not only at Mortimer's, y'all, but also in her home. In this episode, we are going to explore the rest of Gloria Vanderbilt's life. In her words, in Dominic's too, what happens to her? How will Gloria exercise those demons from her childhood and that terrible custody trial yesterday that we learned was all just a terrible misunderstanding? Let's investigate. profile Dominic Dunn writes in 1985 is of a woman in the mid-1980s who is very much in control of her life. This is from Dunn's writing. At a nearby table, faced away from the merriment, sat Gloria Vanderbilt alone, waiting for her luncheon companion. And at the bar, all the people waiting for tables were staring at her, not at the riotous party behind her. She looks wonderful, said a lady in a feathered hat. Marvelous, her friend replied. They spoke with that proprietary tone New Yorkers reserve for a cherished celebrity. A survivor as well in this case, against all odds of being one who continues to cast a magic spell. This is back at the home at Bleecker Hill. No one told me you were here, she cried, greeting me at the door of her red library. Have you been waiting long? She was contrite. She always rises before six, and at that hour, shortly after nine, she had been about the business of her life for several hours. Gloria Laura Madeline Sophia Vanderbilt DeSico Stokowski Lumet Cooper is like the Queen of England and Elizabeth Taylor, a lifetime celebrity famous from childhood. She was wearing brown cashmere, and she settled elegantly into the corner of a chintz sofa the great-great-granddaughter of Commodore Cornelius Vanderbilt, who founded the family railroad and shipping fortune, lives in a penthouse on Gracie Square with her two teenage sons by her last husband, writer Wyatt Cooper, who died in 1978. 
Outside, beyond the terrace, tugboats lumbered under the Triborough Bridge on the sun-dappled East River, that magical view you so often see in movies about rich people in Manhattan. She speaks in a breathless, whispery society girl voice, and there is a trace of stammer, under control and attractive. Her much-photographed flower-white face, so prominent at theatrical and social parties in New York, was scrubbed and clear. Her hair, no longer black and severe, is now chestnut-colored, and it moved freely as she talked and gestured. She looked healthy and fresh, and much younger than her well-documented age of 61. She has an adulthood, made her peace with her Vanderbilt and Whitney relations, from whom she felt so alienated while she was growing up. The word imposter keeps coming into her conversation. She felt as a child that she was in their midst under false pretenses and would be found out and banished. I couldn't wait to grow up, she said. How does she get there? How does she grow up and what happens when she does? By the time Gloria's 16, honestly, even before Gertrude dies, Gloria's packed her bag. She's headed out west. She's dating older movie stars like Errol Flynn. She dates Howard Hughes, too. Gloria says she would have married Howard Hughes in a minute, but that does not happen. She will instead settle for an employee of Howard Hughes. This is a, <laughs> good Lord, Pat DeSico, y'all. He's a failed talent agent, used car salesman, also heavily associated with the mobsters. I mean, Pat DeSico is bad news. Glory Vanderbilt's 17. He's 31. She'll say yes. She's just looking to, I think, extol some kind of control over her own life. And once you get married, everything's fine. You become an adult. Everything miraculously becomes perfect. The thing I want you to remember, Pat DeSico is the dude who all the way back when Gloria Vanderbilt was 10 and in the middle of this custody battle, has had another wife, divorced her by that point. The legendary hot toddy, ice cream blonde, Thelma Todd, who will die in mysterious circumstances back in 1935. Perhaps Pat DeSico is the one who possibly killed his ex-wife, Thelma Todd? Who knows, really, there are a lot of suspects in that one, not the story we're here to tell today. Resuming, Gloria, 17, Pat, 31. Pat will enlist in the military, and Gloria and Pat DeSico are going to live on army bases. They'll eventually head back to New York, and Pat really enjoys drinking alcoholic beverages and gambling. Pat is also violent, not only physically, but emotionally, and in just about every other way to Gloria. This guy is a mean, drunk mobster, and Gloria Vanderbilt, after everything she's been through at the tender age of not even two decades old yet, is in no way prepared for this kind of relationship. Gloria is ashamed at the decisions she's made. She will turn to painting at this time to give herself a little bit of comfort. Also kind of looking for a way to get herself out of the mess that she's made. She really thought that she could fix him. He just hadn't been loved by her yet. It does not work. They marry in 1941. I want to add in here 
that Gloria Vanderbilt's best friends, both of them, also marry for the first time in 1943, the both of them. Una O'Neill will marry Charlie Chaplin in 1943, and Carol Marcus, the one who is made of moonbeams, will marry for the first time William Soroyan in 1943 as well. All the girls are doing it. But by January 1945, Gloria Vanderbilt is about to be 21. Things are turning around for her. She's going to leave Pat DeSico. It helps at the age of 21 that she will receive her $2.5 million inheritance, which by that point has compounded to about $4 million. Pat DeSico is out. He gets a divorce settlement of $200,000. And up next, husband number two. Gloria is going to meet a composer named Leopold Stokowski. She marries Leopold three weeks later in April of 1945. She loves him. He loves her. Neither one of them seemed to mind the 40-year age difference between them. Gloria will say that Leopold saves her from Pat DeSico, but my thought here is that Gloria really saves herself. They have two boys. They'll live on a farm in Connecticut. Gloria paints, he composes, and things are very happy for a long time, almost a decade. Trouble does start creeping in about 1954, nine years into the marriage or so. When Gloria is 30, she decides she would like to try her hand at acting. She will perform in The Swan at the Pocono Playhouse and gets great reviews. The New York Times even praises the performance. And Gloria says, man, I got the acting bug. She'll get an agent. She will start to take roles. And Leopold is less than thrilled with this turn of events. Acting is not his high art form of composing symphonies, nor is it even Gloria's hobby art form of painting. Acting is, according to Leopold, a lesser form of art. And he doesn't really agree with this. He thinks Gloria is the mother of two kids and doesn't approve of her new life choices. want you to know by this point in the mid-50s that Mama Gloria is still around and Gloria Vanderbilt is supporting her financially as well. Leopold, her husband, really does encourage Gloria to cut her mother off financially. Leopold and Gloria will separate in 1954 with all of these complications happening in their marriage. After this, Gloria's going to date Frank Sinatra. She'll say that she never saw the violence in him that so many of her friends who have dated Frank Sinatra warned her about. There was a one-night stand as well with Marlon Brando. Fun fact, Marlon Brando kept a full-length portrait of himself in his bedroom. There is also a very ill-fated date with William S. Paley that Gloria's friend Truman Capote will set her up on. That date went badly. Bill Paley chased Gloria. It did not work. Gloria and Bill Paley do not go on a second date. I do want to bring in another quote from Dunn here because this is fascinating. Since we're on Truman, we might as well talk about it. Another piece of Dunn's writing here. On several occasions, the late Truman Capote wrote about her. In Breakfast at Tiffany's, her stutter, genuine but still a bit laid on, was supposedly the inspiration for the model Mag Wildwood, Holly Golightly's best friend. 
In Lakote Basque, 1965, the most celebrated chapter of Capote's never-completed novel, Answered Prayers, published in Esquire in 1975, Vanderbilt appeared as herself, together with her chum, Carol Marcus Saroyan Saroyan Mathau. The two Saroyans are on purpose. She will marry William Saroyan not once but twice. Dunn continues. In the story, Vanderbilt fails to recognize her first husband, Pat DeSico, when he stops by her table to chat. Her close friendships with women, especially Carol Mathau and Una Chaplin, tend to be lasting. At one time, all three married much older men. Carol Mathau married writer William Saroyan twice. Una Chaplin, daughter of playwright Eugene O'Neill, married Charlie Chaplin and Vanderbilt wed Leopold Stokowski, who was 40 years her senior. we got a few more marriages here, because Gloria is now acting, and she will encounter her husband number three, Sidney Lumet, who was kind of a New York tough guy. Sidney at this point is up and coming. Gloria is really attracted to his grit, and he encourages her acting career, and even moving from stage to television, in August of 1956, Gloria and Sidney Lumet will marry. Here, husband number two, Leopold, will raise a little trouble. He will take her to court for a court custody case in 1959 for custody of their children. Gloria will win that case. However, cracks in her marriage to Sidney Lumet are appearing. Gloria doesn't really love that Sidney puts life first and career second. She says, I was not that way then. The two will divorce in 1963. And Gloria, really, I just love her. She says, just because it ended didn't mean it wasn't happy. But Gloria Vanderbilt, y'all, she's catnip for men. She will marry one more time in her life, this time on Christmas Eve, 1963, to a Mississippi-born writer, Wyatt Cooper. And this is the love that Gloria Vanderbilt has waited a lifetime for. They will meet at a dinner party, and instantly, she knows Wyatt Cooper is the one. Period. They marry and spend many, many glorious years together. They do have two sons, Carter and Anderson. This is a 100% love match. Gloria has found her happy. It's a fantastic time to take a break. Let's hear a word from our sponsors. Coming back with the rest of the story after break. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number. Thousands of people try to call. I talk to one of them. They stay anonymous. I can't hang up. That's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. So wedding bells are ringing for Gloria and Wyatt at the end of 1963. Do you want to go ahead and insert a few sad pieces of news here? Gloria's mother, Gloria Morgan Vanderbilt, dies February 13th, 1965. Here she will quote her husband, Wyatt Cooper, on her mother. This is done writing when he first met her in the final years of her life, living quietly with her twin sister in a small bungalow in Beverly Hills, 
crammed with furniture that had once graced larger rooms. Quote, this woman does not understand one thing that ever happened to her. Unquote. Telma Furness, infamous twin sister of Mama Gloria, will pass away about five years later on January 29, 1970. This is Gloria talking to Dominic. Did I tell you how Telma died? She dropped dead on 73rd and Lexington on her way to see the doctor. In her bag was this miniature teddy bear that the Prince of Wales had given her years and years before when she came to be with my mother at the custody trial, and it was worn down to the nub. There's something awfully poignant in that Telma keeping a little teddy bear in her handbag for 40 years. It's incredible. But Gloria Vanderbilt, by the 70s, designing cards and stationery and art, and things are really coming together. Her designs are good. Somebody says these really should be on prints, and let's make clothes. By the early 1970s, Gloria is building a solid reputation in the fashion world. By 1976, she is bringing in millions as a businesswoman in her own right, not even relying on any of the family wealth, which is mostly long gone. We cannot forget about her pioneering designer jeans with Gloria Vanderbilt's name written on the rear. It was a huge deal in the 70s. But not only designer jeans, there's china and sheets and a worldwide brand for home and a whole new world is opening up for her. Things are looking great until tragedy strikes in 1978. Her beloved husband, Wyatt Cooper, has a heart attack and will die in surgery. Gloria Vanderbilt is in no way prepared for his death, and this is pain. This is terrible pain for her. He was 50 at the age of his death, and it is inconceivable for Gloria Vanderbilt to be in a world without him. This is done writing Gloria's words about him. Wyatt was the most extraordinary father. From the beginning, he treated our children as persons. It was something I never had growing up. Everything she did not have as a child in the way of love and family and emotional security, her sons by Cooper have had, and the affection that exists between mother and sons is evident. Carter is a sophomore at Princeton, and Anderson will graduate from the Dalton School in June. Last summer, Anderson worked as a waiter at Mortimer's. Isn't that great? She'll say, of anything I have achieved in my life, really, to be the parent that I feel like I am is for me the greatest thing that I could ever possibly achieve. When I asked her if she would remarry, she answered, I tell you it's seven years now since Wyatt is gone. It's only now that I'm really not numb. My boys are getting older. They're going to be really gone soon. And I would like to live with somebody. Now we don't have those pressures of getting married, but I'm not going to settle for anybody. I'm very, very fussy. This is done continuing. She has at various times in her life been an actress, a painter, a collagist, a playwright, a poet, each time bearing herself to public criticism. In the late 50s, she co-starred with Ginger Rogers in an all-star television special of Noel Coward's Tonight at 830, she acted opposite television star Gardner McKay 
in an episode of Adventures in Paradise, and toured in Molnar's play The Swan. Her paintings have been exhibited, and a book of her collages have been published. She has written two plays, which are both under option, but which have not yet been produced. In recent years, Vanderbilt has achieved spectacular financial success, earning more money than she inherited by signing a licensing agreement with Marjani International, which put her name on its lines of blue jeans at the peak of the designer jeans craze. The label reportedly took in $500 million a year, and Vanderbilt's face in Marjani television commercials became familiar to a whole new generation of Americans. She is also a designer of home furnishings, luggage, and handbags, all of which bear her name. Currently, she is producing a perfume called Vanderbilt, which her business manager, Tom Andrews, claims is far and away the biggest seller in American perfume. She has recently made her entry into the food area with Gloria Vanderbilt Tofu Glacé, a frozen dessert manufactured by the Dolly Madison Company, and the Danbury Mint has just introduced the Gloria Vanderbilt Bride Doll, the first designer doll in its series. When I asked her which was better, inherited or earned wealth, she did not hesitate to reply, Oh, darling. The money you make is better. So here's Gloria, single mom, focused on kids and work. She will, after Wyatt's death, begin seeing a therapist, trying to overcome sort of the hand the universe has just dealt her. In 1980, she'll make $160 million. Oh, darling, I would think the money you make is better than the inherited stuff. 1980 is also a big year for an author named Barbara Goldsmith. This is again done writing. Five years ago, Barbara Goldsmith wrote a highly successful book based on the matter of Vanderbilt, as the custody case was legally called, entitled Little Gloria, Happy at Last. Alden Whitman, writing in the Philadelphia Inquirer, called it a Proustian picture of the American upper class and the international society of which it was a part. It was a Book of the Month Club main selection, and for four months remained on the New York Times bestseller list. It was a well-known fact in New York at the time that the book greatly distressed Vanderbilt. She had refused to be interviewed by Goldsmith. She called me, which fascinated me, and said, I'm ready to interview you. I said, from one professional writer to another, why should I give you material? Someday I'm going to write my own book. She claims to have never read Goldsmith's book, saying, I have rarely read anything about myself. She implored her friends not to read it, declined an invitation to one of the hostess Alice Mason's dinners when she found out Goldsmith would be present, and even stopped speaking to one of her friends, Maureen Stapleton, for playing the role of Dodo, her beloved nanny, in the four-hour television miniseries based on Goldsmith's book. The story Vanderbilt felt was hers to tell, and the time would come when she would be ready to tell it. Now, five years later, she has told it in a searingly personal memoir entitled Once Upon a Time, subtitled A True Story. It is the account of the celebrated lonely child who figured at the center of the custody trial rather than the story of the trial itself. 
In it, she records the events of her extraordinary childhood as she remembers them. In the language of the age, she was at the time of the events. A series of long-suppressed memories finally come to life. This is the way I have chosen to tell it, she said, because this is the way I experienced it. A discarded baby picture of Gloria Vanderbilt and a cousin, Emily Vanderbilt, taken in Central Park nearly 60 years ago, was saved by the maid of a relative and sent to Vanderbilt. And that picture inspired her book. She said, Fate is so extraordinary. I looked at that picture of the baby in the carriage and I thought, I know this person, me. I'm going to sit down and write about her. And I did. I started writing just before the new year, just after Christmas, and I couldn't stop writing. It was like being obsessed with it. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I finished it by April. Some days she wrote without stop for eight hours. Once Upon a Time ends when Vanderbilt is 17, racing down the beach away from a 4th of July party in Malibu, six months before the first of her four marriages, to such wildly different types as actor's agent Pat DeSico, conductor Leopold Stokowski, film director Sidney Lumet, and writer Wyatt Cooper. She was reluctant to talk about her first three marriages, or her unsuccessful reunion with her nanny Dodo, whom she hired as a nurse for the two sons of her second marriage to Stokowski. For these are things she will be dealing with in the remaining five or possibly six volumes of her memoirs. The second volume, almost finished, takes her from age 17 to 21, and the third from 21 to 29. I intend to live a very long life, my grandmother Vanderbilt lived to 95, and my grandmother Morgan to 105. Of course, she lied about her age, but we knew. People say to me that I have total recall, but everything is a relative thing. I'm also a natural-born writer. It's how you perceive it, how you invent it, and how you choose to tell it. Gloria Vanderbilt, really just incredible. She will launch that perfume in 1982. She writes her memoirs. So many good things happening. Tragedy will strike again in 1988 when her son Carter, who was on a new medication for respiratory problems, Gloria believes that he was sleepwalking at the time. Carter will fall to his death in a tragic, tragic accident. In the early 90s, after trying to pick herself up from that, Gloria discovers that her therapist and her lawyer it turns out, have been teaming up to rob her blind from all of the money that she has made in the previous decade. Gloria will take them to court, but never really collect back the monies that they stole from her. Gloria Vanderbilt, a survivor, always a survivor. There will be more art and more books and an entirely creative life. After Wyatt Cooper, Gloria will not marry again but she will have significant relationships along the way. She'll even write a book with her son, Anderson. There's so, so much more you could say about Gloria Vanderbilt. I really do adore her. She never sits back and settles. She'll continue the work to the day of her death in 2019 at the age of 95. Beloved, celebrated, having made an impact in so many ways to the world, 
do have one quote from Gloria that is probably my favorite, and I want to end it here today. I've lived a lot, lost a lot, had dreams of love and fateful encounters, and although I suspect the answer is in the seeker, I still believe that what I'm looking for is just around the corner. Poor little rich girl, indeed. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in today. You might think that we'd be done with this arc of the Vanderbilt Family Values saga, but alas, I have got a terrific Friday surprise coming for you tomorrow, investigators. I don't think you're going to see this one coming. I sure didn't. It is definitely the cherry and the sprinkles on our Cupcake Vanderbilt episodes this week. Until we meet again then tomorrow, darlings, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.